You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. Mm-hmm. Joining me as always is uh, Cap and Alex from the Something Good for You podcast. Yo, yo. Hey, hey. And uh, we're just uh, been running down the line to exploring the history of Kiss album by album, year by year. And uh, we are finding ourselves taking a little detour here. A detour? A detour. Oh, no. When there's no time to turn, well, there's going to be time to turn to detour. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> hey, it's still forward momentum. Yeah, That's there right. you go. And we're going to look at this uh, history A&E biography mm-hmm. that everyone seems to be talking about. And now, guess what? We're going to talk about it, too. Yeah, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring it up uh, you know, on this show. Yeah, and uh, at least for myself, I have avoided all reviews and summaries and any sort of retrospectives of the documentary. I've watched the documentary twice, but I've avoided anyone's personal opinions. I think I popped my head into the KISS FAQ message board a time or two, mainly to promote the show. Hi, FAQ listeners. Uh, So that's, that's really the only time I bothered to even pay attention, but that was actually more or less to even get full references of unreleased footage that was shown. Right. So right. that that was more or less the topics I was seeing. So the the opinions I'm sharing is one hundred percent my own watching it and making notes. So I'm I'm the same. How about yeah. you, Cap? And I'm just kind of uh, I watched it and uh, I have uh, my thoughts and on a specific topics that'll be brought up too and as far as reviews and things like that i just been you know kind of talking back and forth with uh friends from high school that were into kiss too about uh, their thoughts on it and uh you know just just kind of things that we'll probably agree with here at the table i haven't, yeah. I haven't really talked to anybody about it and i'm the same i've purposefully avoided looking at anyone else's opinion or review on it um I'm actually kind of looking forward to it after we do this episode because there's been a few people that did episodes. I'm kind of curious to see what they say, but yeah. But of course, as fans, we you know we eat this up because you don't see Paul and Gene doing you know a lot of public you know uh, documentaries about their career like they haven't been in the last several years. It feels like you know. Well, VH- I think I think that they were saving themselves for. I don't know. Maybe for this, I don't know. Yeah, the, it the seemed end like of the it. original, the first time I heard about a Kiss docu- doc being made, documentary. <laughs> it's easy for me to say, Kiss documentary being made was. It's been several years ago, and I can't remember. There was a director tied to it, and I think it kind of fell apart. And I think it's because this guy was trying to come at it from a more objective perspective, mm. which of course is not what we're going to get here. This is an A and E biography, technically. It's an episode of their existing show biography so i mean and by design it's going to be kind of uh you know a light 
kind of a lightweight kind of telling of the mm-hmm. of the story. And 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 I think you know it's not to say that there isn't some uh, interesting insights here, but I don't think none of it gets too penetrating, if that makes any no, sense. And a, I think that's by design because it's biography. Yeah, you it's know? a comprehensive tale of you know two. Uh, uh, individuals that are about to retire. This is kind of goes into really is, this last really, tour that they're it's, doing. It's it's it really is. It's it's primarily the Gene and Paul show, which I guess is what Kiss is. Yeah, That's I mean, fair it, to make it really that has been since nineteen eighty. Yeah, but it also comes off to me as in almost in a in a sense um, scripted. Yeah, there was like, one very scripted sort of moment that really kind of stuck out to me in both parts, which is. You can tell that Gene and Paul were interviewed like two or three separate times when it was spliced in because they had different outfits on in different settings. The one setting that annoyed the ever-loving piss out of me was when they were hanging out in Electric Lady Studios and Gene is wearing just a standard t-shirt and jeans and Paul is wearing like no shirt but like a ripped up hoodie and like raggedy looking pants and like not his Pumas but like standard looking tennis shoes. I don't even think he was wearing was he wearing? I thought he was wearing like socks or whatever. Either way he looked very casual. Yeah. And they were trying to look like they didn't have money they were trying to put across that whole because they were talking about the early days they were talking about like electric lady i didn't notice that so much i i I think it's the producer editor thing in me i noticed those little things and they absolutely dumbed down their look some for those specific scenes as if you look at all the other ones paul's wearing his uh suit jacket Jeans wearing all his labeled stuff with sunglasses. I just thought it was curious at one point towards the end, and I see Paul, and he's wearing a hat. Yeah, he but, likes that but, hat. But, but he's also but. wearing a wig. Who puts a hat over a wig? No. Um, <laughs> well, it looks like he's got at least two wigs. Pa- Paul's looks good. Paul looks good. Whatever, you know, if he is, big deal, so what? Yeah. I think Paul looks pretty good. I think he would look better to just maintain that look even on stage because yeah. his stage wig looks fucking stupid. Well, I was going to say. It's I'd... obvious on stage. The the wig that he wears the rest of the time isn't quite so obvious. Yeah. But... I do find it funny that he added gray to his daytime wig. Well, I don't know. I don't know how much that, you know, wig. how much is wig and how much is. Is is a weave or how much is whatever? I don't. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. I that that kind of stuff. A lot of you know, we all like to make jokes about it. And the kiss. There's certain kiss fans that just get really hung up on it. Oh, like, dude. oh my god, they're wearing wigs. I'm just like, ah, whatever, man. I, I get it. But you know, at the nobody same wants time, to see a Paul a, a bald Paul Stanley well, on that, stage. That will go into some of the stuff that we'll talk about later. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean. You know, they look for me, fine. Whatever. For, for me, it it just comes from the the curiosity I've always had, even as a kid. Like I always wanted to learn how the magic trick was done. It wasn't going to ruin the magic trick. I just wanted to know how it was done. And I think that's at least where my curiosity and the paying attention to the wigs and no wigs thing comes from. Is I'm not trying to ruin the surprise. I'm not trying to ruin the illusion. It's just I'm curious. Is that still your hair? <laughs> you know, the stage well, wig just looks like a fucking cheerleader's pom pom or some shit like that, as well, shiny I and frilly think, as I it think, is. I think, yeah, I think it. That's more. I don't know. It I think, as they get older, though, and that's kind of my my point with these things. It's like you're trying to retain some sense of your youthful self, but you know, you you, you end up kind of. The head catches the tail. I mean, Gene just looks terrible. And both of them look like they just smelled a fart. 
<laughs> I don't understand what it is with that sour look on both their faces. It's just like they lying. both just look like like it might like, be, it, like they're like you know like they've just been sucking on lemons or something. Well, after having to deal with Ace and Peter and the things we know are factual after all those years, I feel like I'd be making the same face. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But I, I tell you what's what was very telling is as it starts out. It has them playing Shout It Out Loud, mm-hmm. and they're showing the current incarnation of Kiss. With but, the Alive but 2. it's the Alive 2 version that's playing underneath it. So the band shown is not the band you're hearing. So they're already going to you you know if you're if you're a kiss nerd you already know okay they're going to be blurring a lot of things here and yeah. it's going to be of course stilted to their benefit which i mean again this is theirs the you know coming right out of it this is pretty this is a largely i think a self-produced effort in conjunction with a and e which is almost kind of feels again just the fact that they're doing it with a and e almost feels like it's uh you know, almost it's not as grandiose as what you would expect from Kiss. I, I would have preferred, a, you know, I think it's cool that they did a two parter. It's a three hour documentary all put together. And I think if they could have done a, a an, an objective three hour documentary coming from, a, a, you know, a, a, a third party source or whatever, you might have something a lot more penetrating and a lot more insightful as to who they are right out of the top here. Uh, just them talking about uh, their whole background stories about their families and stuff. Yeah. There's so much there that I think could be explored, especially with Gene being, you know, a, 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 an immigrant into America who's achieved the American dream. Yeah. It's, and it's it, to me, that's a fascinating story. It's, you know, uh, having parents that were... Uh, or, or just G- his mother. In Gene's G- case, his mom was in, in a concentration camp, which is just insane to think about. I mean, the odds being so thoroughly stacked against them. And mm-hmm. even to this day, you see in, in, in some of these KISS message boards and stuff, a, 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 a kind of an undercurrent of almost an anti-Semitic tone, like, they're Jews. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, these guys, if you want to hate on these guys, you got a million reasons to hate on them. Their heritage is not one of them. Not in you the know? slightest. If anything, that's something that you should applaud and champion because, I mean, that's an amazing story. To, Absolutely. To come from nothing and to build something that they have is is very impressive. I and, mean, if, if we want to believe the tale, you know, Gene tr- semi-learning English from comic books and American TV. I yeah. mean, that's that's that even is a great part of the story. It, it, it really is. And I just wish that they had explored that a little more. I know they, they're limited in their time. But um, it seems like they've they've rather trade that time that would be something that would be interesting and new and and fresh for some stale old you know uh, slingshot shit slinging mm-hmm. that they do towards the end. Well, so real quick, um, there was something you made mention of, and I actually had a note on it to a point. Um, you were you were talking about if since it was semi self produced, if we had gotten something that was a little bit more objectified or you know just a bit more middle of the road, and Gene and Paul didn't have like full editing you know process on it, it would have been a little bit better. I feel like whoever did do the final editing and the producing of the documentary tried their best 
to give Ace and Peter their side of it. Yeah. Because they picked very good archive audio for both Ace and Peter. Uh-huh. Even moments when Ace and Peter don't speak very highly of Gene and Paul. Right, right. So I feel like for as much as Gene and Paul kind of slung, the producers allowed Ace and Peter through their past words to do the same. Yeah. So I, I do kind of wonder how different it would have been if Ace and Peter had been involved. Cause it felt like they did good, good representation, especially through Ken Sharp. Yeah. Ken was kind of the voice for Ace and Peter. It felt like, well, yeah. And I think, um, I think also to a certain extent, um, I can't think of the guy's name, the Rage Machine, Prince of the Machine. Uh, Tom Morello. Yeah. Tom Morello. I think he, he did a pretty good job. That's the yeah. other thing I noticed in this. They, you know, you, you only, you've only got two quote unquote celebrity musicians, uh, you know, talking heads in this thing. Yeah. And one's Tom Morello, who feels like a genuine kiss nerd. Yeah. And then one is Dave Grohl, who feels just, like a paid yeah. Celebrity spokesman endorsement or something, you See, know. I don't know, I'll, and I'm not saying that he doesn't yeah. like Kiss. I'm just saying it just doesn't feel like you know. There, when you see Tom Morello talk, he's he's animated, he's passionate about the subject. He, you know, he's obviously he he prefers the '70s Kiss to the '80s Kiss, and they don't do anything to mask that really so much. No. So you know, and he's he's got uh, you know an understanding of of the band. It seems like that. Whereas Dave Grohl's kind of more just like, yeah, you know, and he talks about their show and yada, 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 and the same kind of, um, not abstract, but uh, just almost secondary kind of way of speaking. I don't know. But we have the th- budget like, to pay. Like, like, yeah, like anybody would say that it's just, oh, yeah, Kiss has bombs and explosions and fireworks. And we know. I think, th- I think there's a reason for that, though. And I think you're correct to a point. But I think that both, um, I think both Dave and Tom are the same level of Kiss fan. The only difference between Tom and Dave, though, is Dave is friends with Paul. I think Paul will pa- get up on stage with the Foo Fighters every now and then too. Uh-huh. I think Paul's dogma has rubbed off onto Dave. I can so see that. by the time Dave does his part of the documentary, he's kind of being Paul's second head, if that makes any sense. Or celebrity and I think head. that might be part of the reason he's a little more reserved in it. Because I, I've seen the way he kind of reacts about Kiss stuff. And, and when he, he tells that story about... Um, doing the mail order for the kiss radio and um he talks about he's like yeah i, I ordered it in but it was, it was a uh pay on uh receive or whatever cash it is. on delivery yeah cod he's like so he's like i didn't tell my mom and they like showed up and it was like you gotta pay and i was like i never got it you know shit like that so it's like i don't know i feel like if he wasn't truly a kiss nerd or kiss fan to that level it it would never stick out with him as much. He wouldn't have had Paul up on stage in the past and things like that. I just think well, maybe they, Paul may, got to him. That may be him. true. I, I'm I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying the feeling I got if I were if I were not familiar with any of that, I yeah. wouldn't feel. I, I it felt like to me that you know they they was like oh well we can probably get Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, let's pay he, a Dave. Dave Grohl's kind of gotten to be the. The go-to guy. He's the he's, the new Henry Rollins. He's the new Henry Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty 
pretty much. I mean, I'm surprised Henry's not in it, you know? Is it, we can pay uh, Dave Grohl to be in this doc, but we can't fucking pay uh, Ace and Peter somehow. Well, well so here's the thing. Well, they I declined. I, well, they declined due... Ace, his own words, declined due to money. Ace says that they weren't willing to pay him enough. He said that yeah, on like a radio interview. That's a story I've heard too. You know, that's probably true. And I, I don't, don't know understand how, it works how that either, works, but but um, I feel there's a little bit of credence to it. I don't think Tom and Dave got a lot of money for it. I think they may have more or less done it for doing it. Yeah. And the other reason I say that is, you know, it's no secret we we kiss is among one of the hundreds and hundreds of bands that got screwed in their record labels when it comes to royalties and you know song rights kiss does not own their music catalog which well, is part of the, that they didn't get screwed out of it they sold it well yeah but they don't own their catalog and they then that's why they even did those re-records when they did sonic boom so they could do exactly yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's, that's pretty common nowadays so because of that, because they don't own the rights to their music, they would have to license it from whoever owns it, which I think is what uh, Mercury, which or is now Universal, Universal, I think. Mm, who knows anymore? These things get eaten up all the time. Yeah. yeah. So you get whatever music big all over this thing. Yeah. There is royalty free music and demo and live versions that aren't alive one and alive two all over this thing and i actually made a list <laughs> of every time we hear a kiss song not even a studio version but a kiss song and we don't start hearing a lot of studio tracks until um new york groove i was made for loving you world without heroes those are the first real studio tracks you hear everything else is live or demo mm-hmm for the most part. I think that's how it's well, been for the longest time, too. Even like when I would watch uh, VH1 and VH1 Classic and uh, old v- Kiss videos would come on, it would be nothing from the old catalogs or anything like that. It would be, uh, you know, straight up, you know, like you said, 1979 through the, uh, you know, present era at the time. Yeah. I did, so I wonder if just ha- how little money they may have had for it, if they weren't even going to license out a lot of kiss songs for the documentary with an A&E budget and not a fucking Netflix budget or whatever. Yeah. Well, and also I think the reason they went with A&E was because Gene probably still had a relationship with them because of family jewels. I forgot about that too. Yeah. See, but that also goes into why I think they're so, uh, so easily, um, I don't know. That's why I got that scripted feeling, you know, that it reality in quotation marks kind of a mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I not, can see what it's you not mean. you know, it's not necessarily scripted, but they, they, they go ahead of time and go, we got to hit this point, this point, this point. Yeah. And they and, put on a face and, and all they, that. Yeah. And then they got to, you know, they got to follow a, a line. So it doesn't even feel like that, you know, when they film their conversation, like you said, they're sitting on the sofa or whatever. It it, it it that felt like completely a staged that, and scripted. That thing. was and that was the reason I said I even felt staged and scripted all the way down to their clothing choices. Yeah. Which is interesting. What I noticed about when they're telling their backstory about where they grew up in New York, they're showing like this footage of an impoverished New York where it's like broken down back streets with abandoned cars <laughs> and like yeah. And I'm like, these guys grew up middle class. They didn't grow up like that. They're making it look like these guys had this hard, you know. And I'm sure they're, that it wasn't. An easy thing again with Gene coming over as an immigrant. I'm sure, like the way he initially has a set, but I think but he was doing all right. He was working I, a job and all that. Uh, but, but by the time they were, by the time he was, you know, in his teens, I think they were all solidly, fairly comfortable middle class. I mean, Paul's parents, his dad, I think, ran a 
furniture store, if I Something remember like right. Something like that. That sounds all right. Um, you know, but I mean, you know, it's it's still it serves its purpose, what, whatever. But it just still, again, it kind of makes it look like they're a lot more. Well, you got tough to, New York street kids when they really were kind of middle class, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it just seems like stop selling that. I, I, they show this picture of Gene, and it's in almost every documentary now. It's Gene with his Kent Beetle base. Yes, yes. Why, why do they show this? It looks like it's a backwards picture. It's always the same backwards picture. I'm like, can we not <laughs> flip it by now? You we know, finally, he's holding the he's holding it where it's almost like left handed. I'm like. That's got to be backwards, man. So there's uh, talking about that. I didn't make a note of this, but it reminded me. We finally see an unedited Paul photo we've seen in a lot of documentaries, too. You know, the photo of Paul kind of taken from the right side. You see his big mutton chops. It's black Mm -hmm. and white. And it's kind of zoomed in close on his face. And he's smiling. It's usually in reference to like uh, young Stanley Eisen, you know, and then young Gene Klein, you know, that kind of shit. They finally showed the unedited one, and there's a friend of his next to him, a blonde-haired musician friend. Yeah, I can't. I didn't catch that. Yeah, so it's like I saw that in the documentary. I was like, "Oh shit, that's a fully unedited photo." They mentioned uh, Stephen Cornell. Yep, of course. You know, he's the guy that made the connection for those two. Right. They, of course, conveniently omit. Stephen Cornell's criminal record. I was going to bring that up, but, but yeah. that's fine. It does, there's no room for it here. No. Um, I was just honestly surprised he got mentioned in light of that. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that you, was more you or less probably my gotten note. away. He probably could have got away with them just saying we met through a mutual friend. Yeah, you know. But whatever. I mean, either way. Either way. Uh, what was interesting here is you get your first kind of. Uh, unseen footage that I that I kind of marked on was this footage of Peter Chris playing in his first band, The Brotherhood. Yes, and where I, did they source that from? I wonder. I, I don't bet know you, where Lydia. That came from. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I because didn't. I didn't I, look at the credits enough to to n- say. To that was see. the first wife. Yes, Lydia. Lydia yeah, was and just, the reason I say that is because she's teased in interviews in the past that she has a lot of real to real footage of them like on a plane and doing traveling. Well, and what did we see in this yeah, documentary? I've seen, that, I've seen that footage, some of that before. It seems like somewhere else, but I can't remember where. So. Yeah, like small, it's, faster yeah. clips, nothing but, um, in full like that. So I'm I'm willing to bet that she she probably handed over a yeah, few tapes, probably so. And if but so, great on cool her. That's great. That, though yeah. I mean to see this footage of young peter playing in a, in a club band that was pretty cool oh yeah absolutely you know, um they say which one or does that even matter it's called the brotherhood the, the band brotherhood. called the brotherhood yeah and it, it got the big red letters behind them saying that so it was pretty neat yeah um, and that was a moment too when ken sharp was it given the backstory and the explanation which is why it kind of led me to kind of go like ken seems to be the voice for ace and peter since they declined to be part yeah. of it uh, it was a, i mean that was a smart choice i guess he's yeah. uh, he's he's done some old, i mean ken sharp was writing stuff for like goldmine magazine like 30 years ago that's oh wow where i, I didn't saw, even know that yeah that's where i first remember seeing his name so he's been doing a lot of stuff for a long time mm-hmm. um he's written books on cheap trick too and well it's funny i didn't know he was like such a predominant member in like writing stuff all i knew him from was just an active member in the faq <laughs> you know and that's and then I, all of a sudden i was like oh wow this dude is actually hot shit <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the stuff he's done has actually been really excellent. It really has been. And talking about the Wicked Lester stuff, us being KISS nerds, um, uh, this kind of 
rang true for me. I had the note saying, overly dramatic music when discussing Gene and Paul leaving Wicked Lester as if the band was about to dominate the world and just decided to shelve it. It felt like they were really making that more intense and dramatic than it needed to be. Well, I know it. I don't. I didn't notice that. I, um, you know, I, did they use any of the Wicked Lester music? I not that think, I noticed. No, because I'm not super familiar with that stuff because it's not my go-to jam. Yo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, I only know the. Um, the, the two Kiss songs later I, I, on. I used to have a bootleg that had all, all of that on it. I had a download of it. Like the flute solo and she is just in my head right now as we speak. Yeah, they were playing some sort of gen, generic kind of thing with that. And I was like, I wonder if that's, I don't think that's really Wicked Lester. Because it yeah, goes it right well into generic New York Dolls music, which isn't the New York Dolls, mm-hmm. but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cop of a New York Dolls riff. And again, it just makes me wonder how much money they really did have to spend on this if they're using all this, like, royalty-free, sound-alike stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they, why, you know. But who's making that call and how is those decisions made? Who knows? Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that bugs me about it being a TV thing. And again, remember... This is still an episode of biography. Yeah. We're talking about it like it's this great grand kiss documentary. It is to a degree, but it is at the end of the day, it's these are still episodes of biography. Well, it's also it's the first time we've had biography, you know. Well, and, this yeah. is also the first time we've had any sort of biography since the farewell tour. Because during well, the I'm farewell saying tour, he has a series called Biography, right? But I'm this saying, but for, part but of their Kiss, series, but so for us Kiss fans, we haven't had first, something like yeah. this since well, that's 2001, my, 2002. Right, and that's why I'm saying it yeah. seems like it's kind of like we're being shortchanged a little bit. And a lot that of people sense. might sit there and say, "Well, big deal. So what? You're not hearing the actual dolls." But it just seems to me that you know, it's it's just you're noticing these cost cutting corners, you know, and I I just feel like. Somehow that, you know, once you get that kind of vibe, if you're that deep into it, you're wondering, okay, where are we going to go with this? You know, and and just so I don't harp on it later on in the episode, just get it out of the way now. Since I am in video editing, one of the things I have to do sometimes is, especially for different clients, is go through and find royalty-free background images, footage, and audio to use for their videos. And the scenes of a record player of like the record spinning kind of like top down it kind of had like a bluish kind of hue to it and the scenes of the girl hanging out of the car both of those are like free to use things that like i've literally hit skip on going through websites and that immediately took me out for a couple minutes because i'm like whoa I've seen this exact footage before, and I could have used it for free. Well, here goes my point, though, about this. Even with the cost-cutting measures and everything, I still feel like this is a really well-made document. I was about to say. If you're I, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't get to finish my point here. I'm, yeah. so, I'm like, sorry. No, that's fine. I'm like, even with all this stuff, there's a lot of stuff I realized I found myself going, okay, well, I can forgive that. Yeah. So I can forgive the dolls thing. I can forgive. I can even, you know, it's curious to me that we're getting a generic rock track and generic kiss music all through this thing it feels like one of those i don't know like there's this glut of uh these um documentaries from britain where they're like music case studies and all that where they don't have the actual music and they got like that would just drive me nuts you know, or, those, or those old kiss unauthorized dvds yeah, you used like, to get yeah so i'm like well we're, here we're dealing with the real band can't we get the real music but 
Huh? Anyway, all, all things considered, I still think this is pretty well put together. No, I fully agree. Yeah. I, I just wanted to get those small little gripes out of the way so I wouldn't harp on it later no, on no, in the episode. I, they talk about the dolls here with a snob superiority that I think is unwarranted where they're like, and we saw them and we knew we couldn't look like them, but we knew we'd kill them. And I'm like, man, where does that come from? Because let me, let, me, let me just lay it on you here, man. Kiss weren't that much better than the dolls, man. <laughs> so, so I mean, I, as musicians, which I'm okay with. I think the snob superiority of musicianship and rock and roll has really served it bad. This, yeah. This, this kind of, you know, European kind of idea of, uh, you know, Being, you must be an excellent musician to approach your craft. And I'm like, man, it's rock and roll. It, you know, it's, 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 it's populism. It's, it's, it's always it's, been the story with know, the dolls. It's like, uh, they look great, but they sound like shit. No, you know? they didn't. They sounded didn't, fucking great. They were you, a great goddamn rock hear. and roll band. And anyone that doesn't understand <laughs> that doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Has no business talking about music. I hate that <laughs> well, I, shit. I, I totally man. agree with you, you but know, we hear it hey, over I'm and over. I'm going to say it right here, right now. And I don't care. I get all the hate mail you want, but fuck Van Halen. I love you, Ryan. <laughs> Fuck that. No comment. I want to hear dirty rock and roll played by fucking street urchins that are barely getting by on whatever. Jerry anyway. Nolan and Peter Chris were boys too, up to a yeah, point. Yeah, now Peter Chris and yeah, Jerry Nolan were, you know, the I don't story may be apocryphal, but they say that they, you know, Jerry Nolan was a left-handed drummer, and of course. Paul was, or Peter was a right-handed drummer, and they didn't have enough stuff. They set their drum kits up side by side and were sharing the floor tom and stuff. Huh. And they were, you know, there's a I lot would, of pictures of them together. I was gonna say, you I'd know, love to Jerry Nolan was, I think Jerry Nolan was Peter's best man at his wedding. There's pictures of that. I'm just reading. I'm He's read certainly this. one of the. One of the, whatever they call it, groomsmen or whatever. Yeah. So I actually made the same note you did about New York Dolls. I said, Gene and Paul referred to New York Dolls as being visually great, but we will kill them when referring to being them out of the music scene. But they're also very quick to admit that it worked for the dolls and not them. Yeah, so well, that, that was look. one thing I, yeah, the look. Yeah. So that's one thing I did appreciate about them is they were at least selective on a few things to be hard on themselves on. Like they were, they were very quick to admit that that look did not serve them, but it was great for the New York dolls. It doesn't work for us. And and, and to be fair, uh, all the bands in New York were kind of trying to cop that kind of thing at that time. And I don't even know for certain that the dolls were the guys that, brought that to new york i i mean i've always figured it that way but you know i know that you know before the dolls there's kind of this gray area in new york you know music history or whatever that kind of comes out of post uh velvets i was gonna say to to the dolls and there's you know the 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 missing link in there is eric emerson and the magic tramps who i don't know anything about but i've read their name and i know and i kind of always kind of got the idea that they were sort of the ones that first started um bleeding in the kind of androgyny thing Mm -hmm. but i i don't know that for a fact so don't 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 hold me to it but i'm just going off of you know but i know by, by that point there was the harlots of 42nd street and the brats they name drop them in the dock too yeah and and, and you know the, there was a scene for it but and, and what's interesting is they're showing this new york scene there and of course you know they're saying we were never part of the new york scene which to a certain extent I, is true, I, I but, that the, was but, true. but 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 uh, they're showing a lot of CBGB footage in this when the, in the, in that part. And I'm I like, noticed that too. Club wasn't even open no. then. 
<laughs> and, and CBs was really never part of that kind of glam circuit. Yeah. Now, there was, you know, they, they talk about them playing at the uh, Coventry in Queens like it was like outside the normal, you know, Kiss didn't play the Mercer Arts Center and they didn't play Max's, which is kind of curious. But the Dolls played the Coventry. The Dolls played the Diplomat. Yeah. The, you know, the, uh, these bands were all kind of following each other. And I assume they probably played the Daisy, too. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they're quick, kind uh, of making it sound like they were, in, you know, finding these sp- places on their own and kind of making it happen. But the Coventry was a was the Queen's spot for all of that. So, yeah. Well, uh, real quick, so I can just keep up with your notes. If you're if you're already to uh, them talking about uh, the New York Dolls and stuff, I had a couple little quotes um, that really kind of stood out to me. One was when they were talking about uh, all the gear getting stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was before them talking about New York Dolls and documentary. Um, Paul responded to the question of why he followed Gene to upstate New York after the gear theft. And Paul said, because I knew I was stronger with you. And even if you didn't quite see it at that point that you were stronger with me, quite honestly, I was more concerned with me and it was better to have you with me than me alone. And I just thought that was rather interesting of Paul to kind of peel that back and even kind of be forthright with Gene in front of his face going, you know, I would have done that anyway. You know, well, it's like I needed to follow you. The But that's that's him asserting his position in a way that's a little different than has been presented before by others that were around in that time that kind of have painted it that Gene was the leader almost and Paul was like the baby brother that was following yeah you know i mean Gene but that's what it the sounded guy like who was putting down the majority of the ideas and that may but that still may well be true i mean yeah you know but who's to say at this point they're not going to give you any real hard truth you know again but they had some real moments uh in a lot of uh spots in the dock particularly gene yeah and another note I had was uh, fi- Paul finally corrects his Flash and Balls newspaper ad oh, yeah. statement. Well, whatever. I, I, I just I find it funny it. that for years yeah, they've used Flash yeah, and Balls, yeah. and finally he's like, Flash and Balls. You know, but you can, they wouldn't run balls. I know so it. I'm like, whoa, after all these years, you finally uh, admit it. I doubt that he even used it to begin with. I mean, but again, that's kind of a big deal. So what? You know, you can get on Google and find old, they're like, uh, they're, they're old scanned images of the old Village Voices, and you can find that ad. It's it's just a couple of clicks away. We're about yeah, to do that well, right it's now. more than a couple of clicks. You have to really know yeah. how to find it. Oh, okay. But but the, yeah, but it's like I, I find it funny it that within the, the date of the of the issue. But I found it once when I was like bored one night. And I was yeah, like, <laughs> and I, and I know like on the FAQs, I've, I've seen it, it throughout the years. People finding it and posting it. They're like, it's not flashing balls. It was flashing style, flashing ability, ability. ability. Yeah, ability. Oh, well, you know, but even I I'm mean, getting it wrong. And they don't they don't mention uh, Bob Kulik at all in this. Which is interesting. Bob Kulik apparently was the going to be the guy until Ace showed up. See the one if that the, uh, if the story is always to be believed. I've heard it was Bob. I heard it was some guy that couldn't speak English. No, well, they they, they mentioned Bob because uh, Bruce is in there, and even Bruce makes mention of yeah, my brother Bob oh. showed up and was doing okay, stuff. I didn't yeah, catch that. But. Um, and uh, actually, directly after the New York Dolls thing, Paul shares another story about his ear. Paul brings up that ear story like three or four times in the documentary. 
Well, he was very self-conscious by it. He'd yeah. been bullied by it. And I, I can understand that. You know, that's left a lasting... I think it's, uh, it has a lot to explain with why Paul Stanley is kind of the way he is. I yeah. think 100%. I think that, it, you know, it, 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 I mean, it, it really devastated his self-esteem as a child that, to the point that it's fed his his adulthood. So it gave him uh, an inferiority complex. It gave him a major inferiority complex. It birthed the star and, child. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting. They don't really... They kind of imply this, and they don't really state it to a, a greater degree. But I mean, I think that the sense of when they put on the makeup, it gave them a sense of being something they weren't, and they yeah. could project that much more easily through the theatricality of it all than who they actually were. And yeah. I think that in Paul's case, particular, that he felt like once he took that makeup off, that same little you know fat kid from Queens with the bad ear comes back out, and that's who he felt like he was, even though yeah. at that point he was. He was even without the makeup. He was Paul fucking Stanley, but he didn't know that. Everyone else knew that. Yeah, but he never knew that, which is really interesting and, and kind of sad. And it is interesting too, kind of to work off your point. You see those early photos of Paul, like even before Wicked Lester days, like where he's talking about you know being like anywhere between like sixteen to eighteen. Even then, you look at him and you're like, okay, yeah, he's got a couple extra pounds than what he would have in his you know twenties, but like. He still kind of looks like a rock star. You know, he still looks like, like you said, Paul fucking Stanley. Yeah. This is Paul Stanley with some big ass fucking 60s mutton chops. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, um, it's just interesting that they, they would, you wonder if they would have been able to have become something with, with that mindset without the theatricality. What, you know, could, because I have argued that if you could have had Kiss in 1975, that energy that they had on stage with that, with the same songs and everything, and still had a successful band, would it have been as large and as huge as Kiss became? No, probably not. But would it have been a successful band? Yeah, I think most definitely. The question is, would they have the wherewithal within themselves, or would Paul at least have the wherewithal himself to feel confident enough as himself to do that? You mm-hmm. know? But it seems like my point is that the, the, the makeup and the and the and the theatricality is what gave them the confidence to become you know the band that they became and on the conversation to makeup this is another interesting uh, note i made um one, we get to hear Gene share his love for classic horror movies and comic books, something that we honestly haven't heard him talk about in a while. Like in any documentary or interview, he's not really discussed his love for classic horror and comics, which he did for the first time in this again. That was kind of nice to hear. Um, and then immediately they were complimentary of Ace's makeup, but immediately made fun of Peter's makeup. Yeah, you know, they take a lot of, they go out of their way to dig on Peter on this whole thing. All yeah, the way they kind of let Ace yeah, shine go, and, and be a little know, better. But it is funny the way Gene does it. He goes, he goes, <laughs> I like cats. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come on. He does, he it was get, funny, but Jesus Christ. He kind of gives Ace a voice, too. He's just like, rah, I got a car he game. Does the, he, does, yeah, he does the great Ace impersonation. But I think he it's very clear. He likes impersonate because he also does Doc, too. Yeah, but coming through this whole thing, and I've got this in my, my notes at, towards the end, though, is that across the whole thing, both episodes here, it's clear to me that Gene really still loves Peter and Ace. Yeah. He still... He still you know, very, uh, he pines for that, you know, original chemistry it, for all the headache and everything. He'll sit there and nod his head and go, yeah, was it worth it? But he does, it, it, you know, 
it's very obvious to me that that's you know he he just has a strong love for those guys. He was the one that pushed Whereas, for them to play the Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, well, they, that didn't happen. Yeah. But then <laughs> conversely, Paul ain't having it, man. No, I you know it, it's it's interesting that you know they don't mention how uh, Paul wound up playing on Ace's one of Ace's recent albums. Mm-hmm. He did that version the of uh, Fire and Water. Yeah, and, uh, you know, but I don't know what, you know, who knows what the relationships are. I know Paul has been pretty forthright in saying, I don't like Peter. It's just basically what it comes down to. I just don't like the guy. Yeah. I, where do you go with that? Okay, I can understand that. You don't like Peter. Okay, I get it, you know. But, um yeah, and it's like, and it's really hard to argue that point because I've met plenty of people that like just after a while I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't like this person. I don't want to be around them. And but the thing they go over the same, you know, they talk about how they did this, that, and the other, and they do it over and over again. It's all they've got, and it's like, well, okay, this, that, and the other. I can see it got, you know, I, I've heard a lot more worse stories about Peter, not through Paul and Gene, but through like other roadies and stuff. You know, the they them famously or infamously, I should say, I guess, you know, where they'd have to basically wheel them out of the hotel in robes, you know, and they'd have to, of course, cover his face. You yeah. Know? And, and so they came up with the nickname, the Ayatollah Chris Cola. Yep. <laughs> I've heard that one. And, you know, it's like. It, it you know I get it. It was probably very difficult, but you know prima donna behavior isn't exclusive to Ace and Peter. I mean, they at least own up to their own kind of faults to a certain degree in this thing. But you know, it's like, okay, how do you own your own faults and not cut some slack for the other guys? You know, I, I don't see. I don't know. I, I feel like this is where I wind up getting confused with everything. Is where slash how is bringing up something that honestly to me is an important part of the history of the band and we have to assume much like like when cap and i do our something good episodes we have to assume that every episode could be someone's first episode this could be someone's first real deep dive into learning about the history of kiss after only knowing a couple i'm sure there was a 14 year old somewhere that's just getting turned on to this and he's like all of a sudden he's got this yeah what he sees is this giant treasure trove of information for him to dive in on so so the reason i feel like they bring it up over and over is ace and peter's drinking and drug habits throughout the 70s did lead to their departure whether it was firing quitting whatever i'm not here to debate that that's the sole reason though we'll get into that yeah let's let's just kind of move along here we're just i'm going off of some stuff that i noted as it came along uh they go into talking about the making the alive album um not a lot of uh album talk leading up to it other than their uh, first electric lady uh experience um, I had something in there that. Well, I've got There's a note a about the story that that the Gene tells in this. Yep, I have that right here. Uh, it says after finished recording, Alive Bill Coin wasn't sending Neil Bogart the master tapes, so right. he calls Gene on the phone. And Gene responds by saying they were owed roy- radio royalties, and once they were paid, they would send the tapes. Allegedly, Bogart replied by saying, "Listen, asshole, you don't know who you're dealing with. You're yeah. going to send me those tapes, or I'm going to break your legs." He said Bogart said that. Yes. Yeah, and I, I just think that I mean 
That may or may well not be true. I don't know. I know. We know that they were in a lawsuit. We've talked about that on other episodes. We know that there was acrimony there to a certain degree, but they both really recognized that they were supporting each other and needed each other. And and so it seems like that was, uh, you know, a surprisingly hostile reaction. But I think what Gene's trying to get across there is that it's because Bogart had his ass in a sling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even right, the note I had right before that says, alluded to by Gene and Ken that Neil Bogart was making deals with the mafia to keep the record label afloat. Yeah, that's that's not a big secret. Yeah. You know, or at least that's, that's been, been alluded to. Always been alluded to. I mean, but he was also gambling, too. We talked about how he mm-hmm. went and gambled. Made payroll. Payroll off of gambling the little money they had. Yeah, I like that they got Eddie Kramer and uh, the the, uh, the big producers in yeah, their career on board, Yeah, Eddie Kramer and Bob Ezra. Well, it was great to see them there. I, it was great, and I, I thought it was interesting because I was under the impression over an interview that Bob Ezra gave a couple of years ago that him and Paul Stanley were feuding. Or at I've least those, they I've weren't feuding. Too. Paul was beefing against Ezra, and Ezra, and of course, I, I don't think Ezra's at, Ezra's at a different spot. In he's life, at a different but, spot. He's just like, okay, you hate me, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bob you know, fucking Ezra. I'm Bob Ezra. <laughs> His attitude is so great. <laughs> but but you know, uh, I think it's cool that they had him involved in this. You yeah. know, uh, it, because those are the two producers that define Kiss more than anybody, and and to think that. But give the the weight of each one. If you've got two producers that have defined the band, and one of them is responsible for you know three or four albums, and the other one's only responsible for two. Yeah, that's a, that's a you know. But I you know I, I see the pluses on both. We'll talk about that in the other ep- when we go into these other episodes on No Time to Turn. And but. it's like we've already done Destroyer, so we can kind of talk on that one for a second. I love how Bob in his segment perpetuates the myth he was like yes i had a whistle around my neck yes i called them campers yes i whipped them into shape like he was just like owned it up to yes i was doing cocaine yeah even then he was like yes i was doing a lot of cocaine and even with well some of the members and then cuts to audio of peter talking about doing cocaine with my best friend well hey you know i mean it was it was what it was yeah Uh, you know 1975 you know they're they're and and then you see and this is kind of bullshit too it's like paul or paul starts talking about well yeah but he was a functional addict and i get it it makes sense he goes you know he shows up he does his job you know everything is working on on a time frame and he's observing it whereas the other guys are kind of ambivalent towards it i mean you know again we've talked about this in the other in the in the destroyer episode well Mm -hmm. it hasn't yet aired yet the upcoming the upcoming destroyer episode you know you gotta wonder it's like how much use of dick wagner was there and at what point did ace recognize this and go well i'm not coming no you've mm-hmm. already you know but who knows and ezrin acknowledges it in this documentary because it was difficult to record destroyer for ace and refers to him as the ultimate rock and roller yeah i think you know ace always responded better in, in his own telling of it to the production style of Eddie Kramer. Yeah. Who allowed him to find that spot. Whereas, you know, it was more rigid and more uh, disciplined coming from Bob Ezra. And I think he had a hard time with that, but that's, that's, uh, you know, a matter, a matter of schematics, I guess. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, and, and they actually give Bill a coin, a lot of credit for the early marketing. Like well, that, that's they because could have, that's they could have taken the chance to own it for themselves. I mm, thought. What the the 
just like the big uh, to mo- the the merchandising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their eagerness to do it. You mean uh, the eagerness? Well, I can easily see Gene and Paul taking ownership, going like, "Yeah, so we started marketing the band and putting out T-shirts and comic books and lunchboxes. They, they were all gung ho about that, but you know, they didn't make any money off of it. That's yeah, something they won't did. admit. Yeah, I don't think uh, they don't seem to want to admit. We'll talk about that in some upcoming yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah. But I did. I just I but, felt like that was a moment they could have rewritten history and taken it on themselves to say they did it but i thought it was good that they oh. gave bill a coin proper credit in that also <laughs> well, he's the guy that made all the money <laughs> yeah <laughs> they were paying them <laughs> they were paying them commission to run their merchandising <laughs> good job bill <laughs> and, and another that he owned <laughs> he owned it they didn't own it he owned it <laughs> another great uh, quote from paul kind of in this area of the documentary it goes uh fame doesn't change you it allows you to be the asshole you are. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, that that's that's owning their their own shit. There. That's pretty. Yeah. That's that's very telling. Yeah. Jane talks about how his uh, ego got the best of him, like but, quite a few but, times. But let's go back to the merch for a second because Dave Grohl makes an interesting comment about nobody can out merge Kiss, and I'm like, wait a minute. That, you know, Kiss gets all this heat from people that want to like, oh, they're just all about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there's nothing that Kiss is doing or has done that hasn't been done by the Beatles. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Not a single thing. Or I don't think the Beatles were doing a, it Maybe then. save for a pinball machine. Even to now. But I'll go even one further. Grateful Dead. There's nothing the great. I mean, the Grateful mm-hmm. Dead are a very. They are, that is a merchandising juggernaut. Anyone that thinks any different is is just fooling themselves. Oh no, Elvis, the, Beatles, ACDC, and where, Grateful Dead, I'm, all of that. I'm like, is. why did why do these groups get credibility that Kiss don't? Well, because I think Kiss was probably the first through the door with it. That's what I was going to say. So it's all time and perspective. In the 70s, Grateful Dead wasn't doing that. The no. Beatles weren't doing it. Well, the Beatles Kiss, had done it. But they weren't around Not anymore. to that extent, Oh, yeah, though. absolutely. Really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Dude, they sold beetle wigs, for Christ's sake. Well, I knew that one, yeah. You could. But, I mean, but there I was did, all kinds of... But I didn't know how much that they, was really involved were, by the Beatles. So I thought that was kind of like a magazine not. Thing. I don't think it was as well managed or as well uh, maintained, but, I mean, certainly it was there. I mean, that but, was... But I think that's why Kiss gets all the credit and the heat both the positives and the negatives for it all because in the 70s I mean Gene said it best in a lot of different things they wanted to be Coca-Cola you know so it's like I think with Kiss too it's like they were a hard rock band you know and not the monkeys that is is probably Mm -hmm. where they also kind of went sideways again and we'll talk about this as as the show goes on as the other episodes but um you know that just their perception of being very much kind of a i mean they're coming out of post glitter post glam whatever and they're kind of an anomaly in in that they have this image that no one else has ever happened upon before and they're really driving it home and you're seeing stuff and i think we've talked about this well we will if we haven't you know, we the, again the photo shoot where they're with the with the girl in the bondage gear and she ends up naked in it they would never have done that by 1979. No. no. I mean, the, allegedly, they kicked Sammy Hagar off of opening that tour at some point because he was using the F word in front of all those kids. Oh, wow. And, and it's just like... Sammy uh, Hagar, They too. were very, you know, they were very complicit. That's the thing I, they don't seem to show much ownership over is they were very complicit in that moving the band in that direction, which, what is euphemistically been called, quote-unquote, super kiss. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, uh, you know, that was, uh, it was all by design and they knew where they were going with that. There was no way they can say they weren't They're not, They're trying to pass it off. Like it was outgrowing them beyond what they could control. They were fully aware of what they were doing. Uh, did you notice there's a part when they're talking about dynasty and they show Paul's, uh, purple, uh, whatever you call that. Yeah, but thing. like a new shot of it. Like he still like, owns it. Uh, yeah, I'm like, do they, st- I mean, I can't imagine them having created a new one just for one single shot in that thing. No, that, I'm, that was I'm pretty sure surprising it's the original. to see that pop up. It's like, because I thought they had sold all that stuff. There's a couple of cool little like uh, fan moments there with uh, with Paul, not only that, but with uh, his guitars too. Mm-hmm. When they showed the original uh, Iceman Ice with uh, like all the broken glass yeah, in it that yeah. uh, Paul would cut his fucking hand yeah. on. Yeah, that was cool when he broke that out. That was really cool. Yeah, if we're kind of up to the dynasty area um a few little minutiae points that i've noticed i uh, brought up to you a little while ago actually a few weeks ago and you're like oh i didn't notice those interesting audio edits um the one of them being uh they changed the mega doll music it didn't have the kiss that's the name yeah. kiss it didn't have that in the background but it still had the announcer voice yeah um when they did the Kiss makeup commercial, it still had a little bit of rocking in the USA in the background, but it was the same riff looped a few times. Like it wasn't played out like it was supposed to. Uh, same thing with the Kiss radio. It didn't have Love Gun behind it. It was some royalty free song. Mm. And the biggest one that I don't think either one of y'all would have noticed, and honestly, I wouldn't have noticed if I wasn't watching the special on my computer with headphones so I could really hear things really well. There was a point in which they were uh, heading into Winterland footage in which they the announcer was muted, but you could see, you know what I'm talking about in the Winterland footage. Where, where he says, yeah, welcome our special guest tonight. Kiss. Yes. Yeah. You see him. His mouth is moving. But all you hear is the crowd, yeah, uh, and then you hear the audio bump in. And then immediately after, there is a drum machine or a programmed drum around the 39-minute mark of the first special that's mimicking Peter's jazz shuffle of 100,000 years. Yeah, I don't think many people would notice it, and I wouldn't have. That's weird. I don't know why they would go and take the time and trouble to do something like that. Because they don't own the bit. I know, but I mean, why even take the time and trouble to recreate it like that? I don't know. I mean, that's that's you're talking about again. Uh, but that's I, my I, job. I, I want to point out the oh, minutia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that winds up the first episode of it, and yeah. it goes now into part two. Mm-hmm. And and they kind of the editing even going into part two kind of annoyed me, especially just knowing what's going to be coming up. They made like the ending of it sound like there was going to be an all out brawl between the band. So ominous. Yeah. It's like they had like the speeding up music behind it and the fast cuts and the, I didn't catch that so much. I, you know, I, they showed the footage I've seen and they use this in the, um, um, What's the what's the one that came out in ninety two? The Kiss. Oh, extreme oh, close up. Yeah, oh, and, and I, that, there's that great footage of them. It kind of I think tells all where they're walking towards the stage. They come out of the backstage area, and it's like an upper view looking at 
you know, them and Paul comes out and he's gung ho and Ace is kind of like, yeah, let's go. And Gene's coming out and he's kind of, he's just sort of gearing up, but yeah. he's pulling Ace along by the hand and Ace, yeah. or not Ace, excuse me, but Peter, Peter by the hand and Peter's just like fucked up or yeah. something. He ain't there. I mean, it's like he's on his feet and I don't know why or how, but it's just kind of sad to see. Yeah. You know, now there's something that, we pr- we'll probably wind up forgetting to even talk about when we get to our dynasty episode. And I feel that this is a decent time to bring it up because they talk about it in the documentary with as much archive audio there is of this band. And there's a decent amount of archive audio from the dynasty tour. Has no one found audio of Peter speeding up and slowing down that song because I've heard that story so I many times well, of Peter intentionally speeding up and slowing down a song, but I've never heard audio proof of it. Well, they never they didn't record every single show. I mean, that's that's all, a lot of that's just bootleg quality but stuff. That's fan. the moment that's referenced a lot. I know, but because we mean, have, our, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I mean, it because we have Peter's blow up during Beth, and 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 I know that. Uh, I believe that to be a true story. I don't. I don't doubt it. Um, you know, he talks about Peter throwing sticks at him if they got in front of him. Yeah, the, yeah. in front of the I've drums were a no-fly zone. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you know Peter had had. Uh, you know, I think like he said, I think he didn't re- recognize it in the moment, but he had just completely burned out, and I think it wasn't just burned out on playing in the band. I think you know all the excesses, the all his lifestyle was burning him out. You know, and I think he's pretty forthcoming about that in his autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ace too. Ace too, but Ace was was still rolling. Yeah, uh, another little Peter, Paul quote I mean, here. If you look at if you look at Peter's drumming in ninth in, in any of the existing recordings or footage of, from like the Alive era versus the Dynasty era, and you can see there is a very stark. And noticeable decline. Ace and is still fine. Ace is still fine, but Peter, man, that drumming on that that Dynasty tour, and I've heard some bootlegs from the Dynasty tour where it's pretty hot. Yeah, and he's he's there, but you know, and you you, you don't know exactly what it is that's causing it. It, it, I'm sure it was a it was a confluence of a lot of different things from from the lifestyle to the lack of. Uh, uh, you know, inspiration or whatever. He's, yeah. he's he's probably not real super excited to be there. Maybe who knows? To just being, you know, he's four years, five years, or whatever it is, older than all the all other guys. Them. Yeah, you know, I mean, all that's going to catch up with you in some way or form when you're, you know, what we when you're used to operating at a certain level, and, and, and it's going to be harder and harder to maintain that level. But you know, what are you going to do? And another just random Paul quote I found interesting. He goes, Peter made it hard to love him. Well, yeah, I've heard that. I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure that's I probably imagine. true. You know, I, I just well, seems so, like. So because would... it's true, doesn't it mean it's not supposed to be in the documentary? Well, I guess my, my issue with it is that it, it's, it's, it's almost still done at the expense of them owning their own shit. Like they own a lot of their own shit but yeah. you know at the end of the day it's still yeah yeah well I wouldn't have spilt the milk if he hadn't have brought it to the table <laughs> fucking Peter <laughs> fucking Peter you know and it's like hey, you know it doesn't make or whatever I, I'm it's a bad analogy but I'm just trying to say you know I think everybody had their I have a very strong feeling about this and we were uh, this is something I'm kind of saving for the other 
episodes, but in my opinion, you know, and they make, okay, here's, here's the quote from Paul. Uh, you know, it's an all for one thing. And he said, and, and it got tested. It was this thing. And yeah. I'm like, no, it didn't. It didn't get tested. If it got tested, it wouldn't have stood. And if you really believed all for one, one for all, you know what you would have done? You would have gone, okay, this has ran its course. We're as big as this is ever going to be. There's nowhere to go but down now. Let's just stop. Yeah. But stop. Pa- but Paul saw it. Break it up. If, if, I mean, and, and you know, I, I, I was debating this with a friend of mine recently about had they broke up in, after the Dynasty tour? Could they have come back in 1996 and still been as, as successful? Yeah, I, I think, think so. so. And, I think and they the would have been just as like, big. No, with them disappearing, what made it was that they were still there. I'm like, no, no, no they, one cared about that. But Paul even says in the document. It doc would have that, been bigger, I think, had they broke up in 1979. You're probably right. But Paul says in the doc and in his book and everything that Kiss was his lifeboat. Yeah. You know, like he wasn't going to quit. I, but yeah, but I think, and that goes into that idea of his own self esteem. Could he not recognize the value that he could have had as a solo performer? And I agree with that. And I think, it, I think he would have easily been able to transition. I think in any point in the 80s, Paul could have transitioned into a solo performer with the same level of success that Kiss, Kiss had in the, in the 80s because. You know, their success in the 80s wasn't that remarkable. No. It really wasn't, especially when you compare it to what all was going on by the by the mid-late 80s. And they'll but, admit to well, that. Even but before we fully hop into the yeah, 80s. Was, I don't I, want to jump that yeah, far Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, there's interesting, though. It says, Paul blames the shift in character alter egos, talking about getting Vinnie Vincent and Eric <laughs> Carr Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's why I'm leading into it. He, he blames the shift of character alter egos and the music from the Elder for the band sliding down the, the unpopular slope. Not that the music had declined greatly from the mid-70s. It had nothing to do with them changing members. I think I that's think, the only bit of the documentary that annoyed me, is they kept blaming member changes and alter ego changes for the band failing at that no, time. I think it just the, the, the thing is that the KISS fad was over. And that's the thing you have to recognize is that for for marketing towards that audience the way they did, they set themselves up to be exactly what they were, a fad. Now, that doesn't mean to say that what they were putting out wasn't good. You can debate that all day long. There are people that hate Unmasked and there's people that hate Dynasty. I actually really like those records. I was I, listening to them the other yeah, day. So, yeah. so, okay, that's fine. And Unmasked wasn't a successful record in America. And the Dynasty tour wasn't a successful tour. A lot of people don't recognize that for what it was set up to be and what they anticipated it to be no you know they weren't they were they weren't going to hit any b markets with that tour they weren't gonna they were going to do multiple nights in all the big cities you were going to have to come see them and then they realized oh that's not going to work because they were so used to that and so they had to go back and try to make this thing work on a you know it, it 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 was over the the fad was over and that's why they had the decline and they don't acknowledge that. And Kiss as a fad was over. Now, the whole concept, that doesn't mean the concept doesn't still work. That doesn't mean the concept is broken. And, you know, the thing they don't acknowledge in this documentary that's very important is that, you know, they went, and this is the genius of Bill Coin, they went to great lengths to get those makeup designs uh, as, you know, as registered copyrights like with the you know as a trademark image mm-hmm. no one else could use it i think the same with the logo no one else can use that double s logo 
it's it's a legal you know that's a registered copyright they they own the trademark on that and yep. that that was not an easy thing for them to do because there was no precedent for it and mm-hmm. it took them several years to do it and then in, within a year of them doing that guess what oh i think we're gonna take the makeup off i know it but which that's was in the- that's an insane the, idea. That's the only thing that worked for them in the no, 80s, though. I don't though. think so. You don't I, think so? I disagree with that. We, we can't prove me wrong, and I, I I can't prove you right. This is just my feeling. Even Vinnie Vincent, who I'm not fond of as a guitar player, I don't like that shred style of guitar playing, but I watched uh, in this documentary, I brought it up again, seeing his his character and performance on stage, he was a performer. He brought songwriting, He and he brought that style of guitar playing, which, of course, is what they were looking for by this point. I was honestly surprised he got a mention in the slightest. Well, I, I know you got to. I mean... Well, with how much they've been suing him and everything I else. It, you, know, you got you to get an... It's part of the... He's a part of the history, part of recorded the history. history. They even there. mentioned Mark St. John. Yeah, well, they gave Mark St. John exactly... 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh, you counted it? Yeah. I was like, I wonder how much time this guy gets. He gets 30 seconds. But Mark St. John didn't have any impact on Kiss. None. Vinnie Vincent had a huge impact on Kiss. Now, of course, you know, the great debate is, did Vinnie save Kiss? No. 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 Vinnie did not save Kiss. Vinnie wasn't there long enough. You know, the Lick It Up album, I don't think... I mean, I, the, it had the novelty of them without makeup, but but I'm looking at him as a performer, even in makeup. Had they not taken the makeup off, yeah, things were going to get soft, but I think the rebuild would have occurred regardless, and I think they would have probably sustained pretty well because what came hot on the heels of them dropping off the makeup, like straight away, and I can remember this. You guys don't because you're too young. Everyone was talking about, oh, have you seen the new Kiss? Have you seen the new Kiss? Have you seen the new Kiss? And I'm like, yeah, the new Lick it. No, the new Kiss, Motley Crue. Ah, mm. Motley Crue. Everybody I knew referred to them as. The new kiss. They had the stage look because and the they had that and all look, that. and I'm like, and so that wasn't passe for Kiss. It was passe because they believed it because they were they were so desperate to just cling to anything that was going to give them any chance of survival. And the other thing that no one ever talks about is that the reason why this was also important was they had switched their record company had gotten bought up by Polygram, and Polygram had a deal with Kiss that was in place. And I'm talking off the top of my head here, so I might have some of this wrong, but we'll go into this more when we go to The Elder. But they had to have maintained three original members for their recording contract to remain valid. And they got a gigantinormous fucking amount of money on this coming into it up front when they really probably didn't deserve it. I think Ace and talks that's about that why in his they, book. That's why they had Ace do all that promo stuff, and they were trying desperately to hold on to him because if he was gone, guess what? Everything got restructured. And when it did, oh boy, did they get fucking beat the fuck up on that. And it's interesting, too, because... They Paul mentions that without mentioning it because I've heard that story before, but it's not talked about a lot. But Paul, he says after Peter, after Peter, Ace, and Bill were out of the picture, mm-hmm. it genuinely scared him. Well, and it just underlines every reason they should have just stopped, you know. But they were, they were at that point. I think they were looking at it less from an artistic point of view, if you want to use that word. Ho ho ho. To a financial point of view, yeah, and 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 because they were getting killed, they also uh, at some point they also they had created some tax shelters for themselves, and then uh, they had a 
change of presidential administrations that came in and said you can no longer use that as a tax shelter, and now they owed those taxes retroactively. Ooh. Oh, yeah, they got beat the fuck up. Yeah, they don't talk about they that. Don't, well, of course not, because <laughs> they're not looking at, they're trying to preserve the idea that KISS, you know, the integrity of KISS, that KISS is this, you know. But no, at this point, this is their lifeline. They've got to do something that's going to help them it was Paul's lifeline. Gene was going to fuck off and do movies. So what do they do? They promote the first Lick It Up show with a poster and makeup. Yeah, you know, that one also kind of is weird to me because uh, there's I find that hard that people still didn't know what was going on. That was that was pretty big news. I mean, to a, to a Kiss fan, they were taking their makeup off. But, I, you know. That's still such a slight the, on the promoter, though. Yeah, to use that poster. But I, I would think that those people knew that Kiss had... Well, I don't know. So, so it seems there, there feels two sides of that coin. So, it was like, the populace that aware to the point where the promoter should have known? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'll tell you. When I found out about them dropping the makeup, you know how I found out on the record cover. And I went to the record store and saw the record cover, and I was like, yeah. "Holy fuck!" So, so imagine, <laughs> dude. I, you don't understand. I was like, "Okay, let's see." That was '83, yeah. fall of '83. So I had just turned twelve years old. Yeah. And I was still pretty young and naive and kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I remember the I, I, way we would find out they had Kiss records, we weren't, I wasn't, you know, there was no internet or nothing. It would be either, you know, I never even saw magazine ads for Kiss that really that much. Yeah. Um, so I would go to the record store and flip the records and you know, it would be a new Kiss record. Like, ha, look what we got. <laughs> you know, and then you take it and run to your friends and look, we got Make copies. a new one, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember I was flipping and I saw that and I just, I, put, I remember I put it back real quick and I ran out of the record store and I was like, like I, I was almost you like, I, like you... I got, yeah, like I got caught looking at a Playboy or something, you know, I was like, <laughs> I just saw something I wasn't supposed to see. I saw them with other makeup. I was, oh man, I was thrown completely sideways. Now, so, but, but imagine I can remember if you had seen that, that show three days before you went to that right, record right, shop. Right. So I guess it's possible, but I mean, I don't know. I, who knows? That's a... Um, it's an interesting story either which way. And they definitely gloss over the 80s stuff. Um, so I don't have a lot of 80s notes. But a note that I made by this point is, and this is us, or at least me, showing love to everyone. Tommy Thayer comes off as extremely likable in this documentary. Well, I think all those guys are probably likable. That, that's Absolutely. not my issue with those guys. I yeah. don't, I don't have, you know. But I just wanted to say I something I watched nice. the Rush documentary and I want, you know, I... I it's like I just found out Getty Lee's mom passed away, and I was like, oh, "I want to give that guy a hug because they just seems like nice people." I never feel like that with Kiss. I hate Rush. Yeah, and I love Kiss, but I don't want to. You know what? I, I, I kind of want to meet Gene. I don't. I don't want to meet any of those guys. But I'd love to hang out with the Rush guys. You know? Yeah. Make sense. So even uh, I, I, I can hang out with Tommy Thayer and talk about how what what Kiss nerds we are. Yeah. Even though I think what he's doing is completely blasphemous, but you know he's got his own thing to fucking yeah, but then like hearing his it, story when that comes oh, out yeah really well, bad here's what's interesting to me is like you know you you go through this and uh you know if paul has his ear surgery yeah around this time and who goes to visit him gene gene and what does paul do he when he's talking about it he still takes little snipes at gene i noticed that because he he said something like uh um 
he was the only one that came in and visited me. And, and Gene was recalling and said something like, you know, so in so many words, he said, you know, now I know who my real who friends, friends are. are. Then and then when it comes Paul to Paul, goes, he's like, well, I may have been high when I said that. that. Yeah, I'm like, fuck, man. I know. I'm like, why can't you just let him at least have yeah, it? Paul is so fucking hypocritical on some of this shit. He's like, he wants everyone to, that, to, to, to make way and take and take notice of his poor year. Now it ruined his life and everything. And okay, that's all kind of valid to a point. But guess what? Cut some of that same slack for other people, you know? Yeah, because this is the same time period where Gene was running off trying to be a Hollywood movie star. Well, so it's like but, he was but, already okay, disconnected. Why is Gene doing that? Because he sees that Kiss has probably reached its end and he's looking for next chapter. Yep. You know? And, and it just seems like everything here is, if you look at it with hindsight, it's like, this is your stop point. You know, there's nowhere to go but down from here. And it doesn't matter how successful you think you are, because let's face it, for whatever success they had in the 80s, comparatively to all the contemporaries of the time, Kiss were on the also ran. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if they had a, you you know, we had a platinum selling record with this, that and the other. Everyone was having platinum selling records back then. That was that was the norm. Music industry was booming. The, the music industry was booming. Every Just hard because rock band you had, had a million, million selling record, but you know most bands had like eight, seven, ten million selling records. You know, yeah. Bon Jovi's did the the the, the White Snakes the of the White world Snakes and all that. And, you know, even the young bands that were like Cinderella and stuff like this. These are bands that all were eclipsing Kiss and their success. And and they sit there and go, oh well, they had a platinum record with Crazy Nights. Well, big deal. So what? I mean, you know, my mom did too. It's like, <laughs> you know, but Gene makes this great admission in it that I was really surprised, where he says we were no longer leaders. Yeah, he, he said, admits that the thing that he, we've talked about for years, and, and it's just, uh, you know, it it's just uh, interesting that. They can recognize that, but you know, it's like all they're doing is surviving through the '80s. Their records are subpar. They're yeah. not making anything that te- that feels like Kiss music to me. They're making music that wants to ape what other styles are going on. You can hear it; it's very obvious. We'll talk about this as we get into the '80s era when, on No Time to Turn. But and then uh, later, by this point in the documentary, they start talking about Eric Carr's sickness. Yeah, and it, this honestly was the first time. I heard the Eric Carr story and felt emotional about it because I've heard them talk about like on Confidential, The Second Coming. They always talk about his death in any major biography or documentary, but the way it was framed and like hearing them talk about it and the clips they used for the first time, I actually felt a little emotional watching it. Well, it's a sad story. Yeah. I mean, really, the whole there's another example. Eric Carr seems like he was. A genuinely good dude. A genuinely good dude. I've by never all heard accounts, a negative story about you him. You know, and and he just he looked like you know my memory of him coming into the group, and, and, and they kind of painted like it wasn't really widely accepted. But I can remember in my little circle of friends, at least, and this doesn't, of course, speak to the Kiss fan base at all, but just in my little, you know my little tiny world, but it was almost like it was a vicarious thrill to this because it was almost like, you know, one of, one of the, you know, this unknown guy could have been anybody got brought up and became part of kiss. 
this. And, 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 and it probably having, also felt like it did like when CJ or Marky got back in the band. It's like, oh, the Ramones have a new member. That means they're not going away anytime soon. They're about to have a new well, era. I think this is a little different because it was Kiss. I mean, it was like, you know, it's a whole new persona and everything. They had to create the new persona no, for no, him. No, no, no. That was a negative, Russ. I it was know, because I they know. didn't put the Peter Chris makeup I on. Know. That's That would have been... See, that's the thing that was very cynical to me. And it would, we can talk about this here in a minute. But, you know, Eric Carr had an, an identity in that band. And... and I don't. I'm not a fan of his drum style, especially compared to Peter. Watch for, out! Well, no, wait. For <laughs> People are about to come at you. Here That's come fine. The they can come at me. I don't mean it. I don't think he was a good style for Kiss. I get what they were trying to go for. If you you know you don't notice it so much on the Elder because little known secret he doesn't play a lot on the elder yeah he didn't um, he wasn't happy with it either and, well that's neither here nor there he had no say he wasn't brought in as a full member he was a, a paid employee but uh what he brought was still kind of an identity you know that he maintained a, an identity that gave him you know more credence than even Vinny. but Vinny never had a chance no. You never established that he tripped straight character. out of the gate. But yeah. I'm just saying, but that's not his fault. I'm just saying they dropped the makeup straight away. He only did the tour where he had the makeup on, so he never had a chance to develop that identity and, yeah. and become somebody recognizable to the fans as such. You know, I think the Eric Carr probably wouldn't have had the impact on Kiss and or on the fan base if he had not had that initial identity because he was part of the quote-unquote original Kiss just by virtue of having a character. Yeah. And he was allowed to be that character. But then again, all through, they don't talk about this, how much they suppressed his uh, desire to be a contributor, a contributing member of Kiss in, 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 in the terms of songwriting and perform not just performing drums, but to sing. Because you know, he had a great some, voice. Yeah, they gave him some lead vocal spots. But he had his Black Diamond moments. They could have given him a lot more room, you know, and let him develop more as an individual. But of course, why would they? Because he's just an employee. Yeah. And and you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of rumors swirling around how they handled that when he passed away. I've I've read some of those over the last few years and that's almost one of those where it's like I don't kind of want to believe it because it does feel just like really money shady. Well, I don't know. I, I you know I don't want to comment on it because I don't Same. know the details on it. But I mean, but other than to say that you know Eric Carr seemed like he was a, a pretty cool guy, and I, I you know again he seemed very likable. Mm-hmm. And especially but, for Bruce the fact Kulik that seems he was very likable. Well, that was that was my next note. I said Bruce Kulick seems extremely hurt talking about the reunion tour. Well, well, let's don't let's jump that far ahead yet. Okay, I'm just talking about you know these guys are likable. I'm not a fan of their of their input and I don't necessarily put the blame on them for that because yeah. it's still the Paul and Gene show. It's really yeah. Paul. Yeah. Paul has taken over control of Kiss here. And uh, you know, as the as they as they you know, he implies in this or the implication is made in this documentary that he produced Crazy Nights, which is interesting because mm-hmm. he didn't. Um Yeah, they even show like that M T V clip of him talking about yeah. producing it. Yeah. And and uh but you know he's definitely in the driver's seat. But it's interesting because as you come out of the Revenge album, mm-hmm. you know everyone talks about well they finally found who Kiss was after I we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, album. yeah, yeah. But almost immediately you come out of that and they go into what the unplugged, the unplugged, the yeah, convention, and the convention tour, tour, and then it, and and what are they talking? About? What is the whole convention tour set up towards? 
Classic kiss. Classic kiss. The point is never more explicitly or clearly made that none of the 80s matters compared to... I mean, none of the 80s would have even happened or no one would even care if it hadn't been for the 70s. Even Tom Morello mentions that. He goes, you know, with grunge, you know, starting to come its way in, you know, we were actually wanting to be accepting of Kiss because they were different and off the beating path. Well, it's it's also... I don't know because of just the craziness of it. So I found it interesting that even he was like, Kiss you know, had a huge influence on that whole generation. I think so. Mm-hmm. You know that they don't make mention. You know, the first tribute album that came out was called Hard to Believe. It was completely independent of Kiss, and it was all the basically the. It wasn't entirely Seattle bands, but it was you know this a lot of what was players. then the nascent grunge thing, and it was a, a you know punk and grunge. Or, pre-grunge rock even Nirvana Nirvana but Nirvana's was a piss take they were making fun of Kiss and Dave Grohl doesn't play on that that was their original drummer Chad Channing that's the only I think that's the only recorded version of Nirvana that has Jason Everman on it their second guitar player that was in Nirvana and Soundgarden huh and, well, damn. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The I was only, say, you've got a little thing, bit more '90s knowledge than I thought. Yeah, well, yeah. I got from a nerd, and uh, so, but the conventions happen, and and it's almost like it's foreshadowing. You know now that the wheels are starting to turn, and they're looking towards. Okay, we've got one last card to play here, because it's not happening for them. I don't care what anyone says. It doesn't matter how successful you think they are. Kiss are starting to trend towards club level. It's just the truth of it. And what do they have that's going to be their salvation on this? And and here's the question. You know, they come out of the convention tour with Unplugged. They get offered to do MTV Unplugged. Would that have happened if they couldn't have gotten Ace and Peter to participate? No, I don't I, think so. I don't Not think so either. I think it was, was designed for Ace and Peter to participate. That's the only reason why they even put this thing together. And a and, and little preview for over a year from now feels like when we wind up getting to that record. One of my top favorite records. I love Unplugged. Really? I love that record. Interesting. I adore it. So, you know, this whole thing is obviously, you know, money motivated, mm-hmm. which is fine, whatever, because they did it right. But they, you know, everything is steered towards this reunion, and uh, I'm kind of going off into opinion mode. I'm pulling away from. I knew I was going to do this, See, so y'all the, need to y'all need to slap me back in line. The reunion uh, footage and uh, the reunion story that they uh, depict in the doc is very, very interesting too. Yeah, to oh, kind of okay. T- okay. Well, before we hop into that one, um, I, the last major quote I have saved, I feel, is the most important quote in all of those three hours. So it was right after Bruce was kind of talking about, you know, feeling a little hurt about, you know, the reunion tour happening. And then Paul says, kind of leading into the quote, he goes, I know it upset Bruce, but I know Eric was really hurt by it and kind of explained how he was a session drummer, but how he actually kind of felt like he belonged with Kiss, which honestly did kind of feel like that when you look at it from the outside in. But Eric's quote was so profound like i paused it and i rewound it a few times going like one they allowed him to say that too very cynical Uh uh-huh he goes kiss is gene and paul's band they are always going to do what's in the best interest for gene and paul not Not gene and paul and eric Eric. people say it's called music people don't say it's called music friends it's called music business yeah but uh, the thing is is like him and 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 
Bruce both had to know this was yeah. inevitable. I feel like that's I, how you know Bruce seems like the. I think the reason why he was so stoic about it was because he knew this was coming. But I feel like know, Bruce's character could, was he could, knew, he felt like it was coming but didn't want to believe it. I, I feel like I he was know. lying to himself. Maybe a little. I don't know, but Eric Singer acts like he was shocked, and I'm like, who was? How could anyone have been shocked? Well, because they were in the middle of recording that record, like literally finishing. Well, okay, look, uh, take opinions out of it, Russ. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> they're, just saying, no, they're... I'm saying they still had to know. They just knew that. They, like, I mean, they had to know that well, if, if this well, unplugged thing was set up and staged solely so they could get a kiss reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to know, okay, we see where this is. I mean, I did. I mean, I was just a fan and I had no insight or any any special knowledge, but I knew, okay, we oh, this is going to happen now. Like any session well, guy how or can any- you not see it coming? I have an opinion on that. So, we have also said for a handful of years outside of maybe the last couple that it always felt like Ace might return. Like there always felt like there was those little rumblings like, oh, Ace might be coming back into Kiss. Peter won't, but Ace might be coming back to Kiss. So the fans will always drum up a little extra something if we feel like it might happen. Oh, Paul did the thing with Ace. Oh, now Gene's doing co-writes with Ace. Well, oh, it's, think, it's looking like he I might get think, back in the fall. I don't think it's quite the same now because it's already happened and we know, again, you also, the, we have the aid of the internet. There's so much more information that's readily available and a rumor gets put out there and it's kind of becomes, but we, catches let's, fire much quickly. I'm just let's saying. Let's look at it from the business side of it, though. If you're in the studio recording a record and as part of a record contract, regardless of what's going on on the outside, them being business people, they probably still were working under the assumption, okay, well, they might run off and do a little reunion thing for a little bit, but we still have this record we've got to tour and release. They were probably looking at it from the business side going, well, we're at least secure for one more album cycle. Well, I don't were, think they were expecting the record to get they shelved. Allegedly, they were paid for another year as employees. Thinking so, that they would do that. Well, no, Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, who's to say? I think that... You know the mistake Kiss made after doing the reunion tour was to continue, but we'll we can talk about that yeah, yeah, another yeah. time. Um, I, I mean that one of the many mistakes they seem to make. I think it's interesting. You know, I know we're running long here. Uh, we're good. I think it's interesting to note about their management situation now through the '80s and '90s. Is you, you know once they drop Bill Coin. All of a sudden, he kind of just makes the offhand mark. We were basically self-managed. That's not at the exactly time. We were managing our so. own ship for a while. They I had I think, to have had partners. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, Howard Marks sort of became the de facto manager okay. in the in the immediate interim after Bill Coin, and then curiously, Paul Stanley's therapist, by his own admission in his own book somehow took over managing kiss and this guy that. <laughs> it's it's a bizarre story and i don't remember all the details but i think he kind of went missing with a lot, a of, lot cash. of cash yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, that was my note i'm I said, like how, I said, does, quote, how ha- does this happen and then the great irony is they go to the reunion and they know they need new management and who do they go to doc mcgee now what did doc mcgee how did he Get into managing bands. Does anyone know his background? Motley Crue, right? I think that was his first big fish. Yeah, but how did he get into Motley Crue? It was Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, and I don't know the. How the background did he get into it. management? I have no idea. Well, he was a drug dealer. Oh, <laughs> he's a 
fucking drug dealer. Ace Frehley, Peter Chris, when? But Doc McGee, he's okay. <laughs> he, well, Russ, he's a functioning addict. He's a well. I didn't say, I didn't say he was an addict. I didn't, I didn't say he was an addict. I know. I know. He's I a know. function. He was a functioning. You know, but that like that <laughs> Moscow Music Peace Festival he played together was yeah. part of a plea deal to get out of a fucking drug rap. I remember that. I mean, you know, you're, you're dealing, you're the dealing with uh, you know who. Of course, it kind of makes sense. Who better to manage a band than a fucking you know. I mean, a big time. And he's a big time. Who better player to manage Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, and uh, but you got to appreciate the irony. Names. I'm not condemning him for it. I'm just saying you have to appreciate the irony of Gene and Paul being these, you know, self righteous. You know, we're going to jerk off in public on our, you know, on our straight edge. Blah blah blah. Oh, by the way, our manager. Yeah, well, you know, you know, <laughs> no, and I, and, I, and and to clarify, I definitely wasn't trying to call him an addict. I was just calling back to no, just know, that little. I know, bit. I I'm, I'm clarifying for the listeners. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, at the end, it just here at the end, we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Unless y'all got anything to add, I just uh, think I that- had a couple small things. Um, another little small minutia bit: the USS Intrepid footage was not as clear as previous footage we've seen before. I noticed it, that. it looked like someone was almost filming it off a TV screen. Like it wasn't the high res stuff that we had gotten grainy, in like nineties. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't high res like it would, was in I Second s- Coming. I, th- I think that the um, rights issues on that yep. still would apply even if they were filming it off a screen. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. It just it looked odd. Um, um, I think that you know as you as, as you're getting into this into the road stuff that they're kind of talking about again you know. well before the end of the road stuff what cap was bringing up during the reunion i found it funny that they found all the clips see. of ace and peter talking shit to tommy filming oh yeah, so yeah. i, I love that see that was fun because we haven't seen any of that shit either some of that's on youtube but not that quality because of course tommy has the masters but yeah i just love it he's like get the fuck out of here thea <laughs> I want to read his stories of dealing with Ace and Peter's bullshit on that tour as yeah, a tour manager. I'm sure it was difficult, but, you know, um, I just think at the end of the day, I think it's very telling of how they regard themselves coming out. Even in this, it's apparent in this documentary, how they regard their their status versus the 70s versus the 80s. The '90s don't even—they're irrelevant. They don't even count. There's no, there's no, there's no reason to even. Well, the first, you know, they, well, there they really was so fast because it's you know, the only thing that's relevant about the '90s is the fact that the they, tour. They, they reunited with the original guys. But, but that I'm was saying, in '96. I know. I'm saying, but that's I'm, when I say the '90s. I guess I mean the early '90s when it was yeah. just you know, it has no bearing on anything anymore. They have it has no impact, no influence, nothing. It might as well never have happened. And and. The fact that they're continuing on with the two new guys in Ace and Peter's makeup rather than just dropping the makeup altogether shows a remarkable lack of integrity, which is fine because if any band has a lack of integrity, I guess it's going to be Kiss. I don't know. I just think that you know you reach this end point and what you're celebrating is still as much as you want to damn it and cut it down is still what you did with those two guys. Well, it's we couldn't, all, have, we it's couldn't have gotten to where story. we were without Ace and Peter, You're but we couldn't right. be where we are today without Ace and Peter still in the band. I disagree with that. 
they couldn't oh. maybe on an interpersonal level, but could they still be as a performing unit? I don't yeah. think Peter I don't could. think it would be I don't no. think it would be good. No, I don't think it would. Not no, at all. I don't all. think it's very but I mean, you know, look at Paul. He's not good anymore. No. And that's not I'm not trying to cut the guy down with that. It's just again, you reach your limitations. You've got to know what your limitations I, are and know, you know, Well, okay. I mean, he knows his limitations. He's lip syncing now. <laughs> lip syncing to a bad pre-recorded track, maybe. Yeah. I don't think it's all lip sync. I mean, every it's band in the world, half. every band in the world's doing that now, and no one wants to acknowledge that. I mean, pre-recorded backing vocals and all that stuff. I that's, hate that that's, shit too. That's blatant now too. That's a, that's a standard of the industry now, and they're doing. I mean, club bands do it. It's, yeah, it's, I hate it. It's, it is what it is. Uh, I like that. Uh, you know, there's absolutely no mention of those last two albums they recorded because no. they're completely irrelevant. irrelevant. You know, Doc McGee, fake crying. Uh, no. I don't know. You know, maybe it is real crying. You know, maybe he's just crying over all that lost income. What, yeah. What, <laughs> crying, crying is all that money. All that money. <laughs> what about what about Gene? Uh, Gene's moment at the very end. Do you I think, think you know, that was real. I do too. I, I, well, you know, and, and I guess it's fair to do this now. We can talk about this again later. But you know, what if, after this ends? Thank God it's finally over. What's next? The movie. <laughs> no. I, well, yeah, maybe. I guess they're going to supposedly make some sort of th- movie about Biopic or, or whatever. whatever. Yeah. I, but I I'm saying, I'll, what's next for the guys in Kiss for Real, though? I, I, mean, I won't steal your uh, line because I know what it's going to be. But honestly, I think they're going to roll with Kiss 2.0. I think they're going to get all new guys. They're going to manage it. They're going to keep the brand gonna going. But who's going to pay to go watch that? You would be surprised. I don't the think, I the don't same think, people that are going to see this tour. I, I can see it on a club level. I can't see it existing on an arena level. I, I'm putting it on tape now. But then again, I foreigner tours without any original members. And I, they can get it. Of course, but I'm putting it on know, tape now. See. I can guarantee you if they successfully pull off a Kiss 2.0 to where it looks and sounds good, they will sell out arenas. I, I can almost I promise so. that. I, think, I don't think so at all. I think Gene can go out and do club tours by himself. Like he's like we were talking about, he seems like he's genuinely upset that I it's think, ending. And he's you know, he's the only one that can sing well on stage and, you know, perform well and you know, I could see him taking a band on the road and doing like select I, dates here and yeah, there. And, and you know who he's gonna do it with. You All know his, who the perfect guitarist would be? Russ Ward. <laughs> 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 it's gonna. I, I predict the Gene and Ace thing. They're not gonna be headliners. They're gonna be your special guest It'd on like all the shit openers shows for Ace Frail or opener from um, uh, Alice Cooper tours and shit like that. But who are you gonna say, Alice? Larger than that, I think they could probably. I think they saying Ace. Ace and, Ace and Gene together. Ace and Gene. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. And they're gonna be in on their the, own in, band and their own little band doing opening on all the big shed tours every summer. I'd go see that. I can, I, I'd probably go see it. It's probably going to be better than seeing Kiss now. Oh, yeah. Just I mean, as far as just a, as, as a musical unit. Well, I know. mean, when Gene was doing those vault again, tours, Ace, he was pulling up Ace to do a couple songs, and those were always fun to see. Yeah, so who knows? I mean, it, it, you know, there's they're a legacy act. It is what it is, you know, regardless of what any one person's opinion of how they're doing their shit, you know, it's, it's still... It's the uh, Vegas show. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's, it, most people that are going to go see Kiss aren't necessarily Kiss nerds. They're not going to care about hearing, you know, those deep track stuff that you wish you'd hear. And that's why I think Kiss Two Point Kiss Two Point would be okay, but I don't think they would be as successful as a as a modern Kiss. Does no, it? I think well, they, I, I think throw you out the argument on that ninety five percent, or at least seventy five percent of the people that are going to go to this end of the road tour. This this is actually uh, this could be a completely separate episode. It's going to take us a while to get to it. Plus, we'll have more hindsight. But think about who's opening this tour. 
a painter, they are reaching a different demographic. Think about how expensive these ticket prices are and how expensive the VIP stuff is. And people have posted photos of the VIP things. It's bougie. It's nice. It's high class. They're reaching a different audience. They're reaching a banking audience that wants to have an experience. Kiss is the new Cirque du Soleil. It's the thing they all go out and experience because they've heard the thing. They don't know who's in the band. They see the makeup and well, they want to go see the spectacle. And that's, and that's why I think that's still going to be successful think, you know, even I, without Gene and Paul. Well, I, I, maybe. I, I just, that, but that's the point I was making about why they didn't didn't just drop the makeup. Yep. Once, once they lost Ace and Peter again Absolutely. for the second time or whatever. Um, you know, I agree. But that's what they're selling. They're selling, again, the whole thing exists because only for one reason, 70s Kiss. 80s Kiss is, I don't care. You know, you they can, like you can make th- any argument you want for it. It doesn't matter. Your argument's like- invalid. The only thing that anyone cares about are those four characters, whoever's portraying them. But I think... I think a second, a KISS 2.0, I think it would do well. I just don't think it would do the same business. It'll, uh, they'll open for uh, Foreigner 2.0, which yeah, is all can, different I, yeah, members, you too. Can, you can, yeah, well, yeah, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, we'll we'll explore a lot more of that as we go on on the uh, continuing adventures of No Time to Turn. And you can uh, join us next time as we continue our deep dives into the album by album year by year and thanks yes, for joining indeed. us on this kind of long-winded but um we felt like it was uh apropos to check out this while not it was too in- heavy on opinion too much yeah, maybe bit, toward the end a little bit uh, but <laughs> this is our time. opinion show it's what makes it fun but uh hopefully you'll join us as we continue and we'll start exploring these in in, in greater depths and uh hopefully uh probably greater opinion (laughs) (laughs) especially when we get to the 80s until then for cap and alex i'm russ and this is no time thank you for listening please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something good network